This is episode 50 of Brick and Data, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. We cover trending retail headlines, interview some of the biggest players, surface game changer technologies, and explore how retailers are surviving and thriving. Hello, everyone. My name is Todd Harris. And I'm Jose Chan. Hi, everyone. And welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. Coming up in this episode. Subscription disruptors disrupted. I did it. Luxury finally caves in. Children's Place wins the toy. Weird news of the week. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. All right, Jose. So we're back at it. Been a little bit of a, of a gap. That's okay. Sometimes you got to step back a little bit and uh, take a look at what's going on in the world of retail and yes. uh, in the world of, of, of technology in retail and yes. uh, the happenings and ups and downs and downs and ups and all that stuff. So we've got yeah. some of that stuff to talk about today. Sure. But, but, but let, let's tell our listeners that we took a little bit of time this time because we were very thoughtful because this is a special episode. This is episode 50. Oh my God. You're really selling them on this one, Jose. Well, if they're not sold now, I'm not really sure what to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. So let, let's get into it uh, of this episode 5.0 and talk a little about subscription. We talk about the subscription retailers and the script, subscription services, um, uh, you know, in general throughout our, our past 49 episodes here and there. You know, we don't really focus on them too much. So maybe we'll just dig in a little bit here because we've got some new some new data and some new research from uh, from Coresight Research, formerly known as Fung Global Retail Technology, uh, Fung Global Retail Tech, and uh, they are they just churn out the research and churn out the reports, and and this one is a great one for for this episode because it just highlights some of the activity going on in subscription services that we all use in some form or fashion and love, and different levels. So uh, Jose, why don't you just kind of just 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 fired up a little bit here and we can talk through, uh, I guess what's, what's going on with these subscription services and, and, and maybe what's, what's happening in their market. Absolutely. So, so let's frame it up. Uh, effectively, there have been two general types of subscription services. The first one being curation where this type of subscription model introduces shoppers to new products and examples of this, just to give everyone a more concrete idea would be companies like Birchbox in cosmetics and beauty and stitch fix in apparel okay that's curation the second one um, that is most popular would be replenishment so in this kind of service deliveries uh, are pretty much uh, done regularly and routine products um, are pretty much shipped regularly so here you would have things like perhaps dollar shave club you would have Harry's, which is the competitor, Dollar Shave Club, uh, as well as Amazon Subscribe and Save. So, so maybe commodity been, type items, right? Of maybe course. just the basics. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. got it. And, and and those are the two basic flavors that have pretty much been with us for a little while now. Now, why are the disruptors being disrupted? It's because a third segment um, is now arising as we speak of services that give subscribers access to benefits, uh, that provide deep discounts and other things, right? So two examples here for our listeners would be two companies that are pretty much doing this, uh, NatureBox and JustFab. So just to give you, to frame this up, 
what is happening here? So if you're a member of NatureBox, and NatureBox is a provider of snacks or purveyor of snacks, right? And that's what they concentrate on. For the member benefits... Healthy snacks, so, right? Exactly. Maybe. Healthy snacks. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully. Okay. For the most part, yes. <laughs> um, membership benefits include 40% unlimited discount, uh, up to free shipping for $25 or more orders, a monthly store credit, which is automatic, five bucks every month, that's 60 bucks a year. And if you don't like a snack, they'll fix it somehow, either refund or provide you with something else. And so how much is membership? Uh, it's free for the first 30 days and $30 for the year, right? Mm -hmm. Second model. And then we'll start talking about the you know pros, cons, etc. Just Fab. Just Fab produces their own shoes. And they also have a VIP perks program. So you get 30% off the retail price, right? Then you will get access to private events and promotions as a VIP. And you will get free shipping and free exchanges for any order that is $39 or over. And uh, exchanges are always free. And so this, this is exactly how, how it's working. Uh, yeah, it overall. seems like the value, the the depth of value is is there at least, especially when compared to the, I guess we can call them more traditional subscription services at this point. You know, the more mature ones. Um, it seems like the Nature Box and Just Fab and and others that are offering the uh, deeper benefits that span further uh, beyond just the curation and just the customization of hey yeah we'll send you some clothes and if you don't like it send them back. And that's all we do, which is fine, Ex right? Exactly, but. exactly, exactly. Because mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like a little bit more like the Amazon model, right? And you and I were talking, and you brought this up. Uh, mm -hmm. We were talking about this before. That it, that is like that Amazon. You you could do a little bit of curation, but you could also offer things online to purchase separately, right? right. Which is part of the the allure. You, you're not tied into ah, is this what I'm getting this month? Right on. Yeah, it makes sense. And there's a, there's a lot of this happening right now, though. It seems to be a very interesting time right now for subscription services. I mean, if anyone's thinking of starting a new subscription services company with a different angle, this is the time to do it because it seems like there's a lot of, um, from a financials perspective and a business model perspective, that disruption is is happening right now. Maybe it's not a disruption. Maybe it's more of a uh, of a leveling up or a next stage of maturity that is is happening with these subscription services companies because we're seeing some activity also according to this report from existing uh existing providers uh, blue apron and birchbox they're kind of uh having their own issues it seems so blue apron blue apron which these are both well blue apron at least is that very well known we hear it on a lot of podcasts they sponsor a ton of podcasts they, they do a ton of uh, advertising whether it's you know online or just 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 anything you might hear in in videos that you're watching on YouTube, they do a ton of advertising. I don't understand why they're so broad, but maybe it's working. Who knows if it's working? It's a whole other topic. But Blue Apron uh, provides all the cooking materials you need to have a have a really good dinner on the cheap and simply. Uh, they posted declining revenues and deepening losses apparently, um, along with website visitors dropping. And that's a huge problem, obviously, for them. It's a very basic statistic, but it's a big problem uh, for this type of, of of service, right? 
So, um, and this is the same thing for Birchbox. Those visitors uh, seem to be dropping too. So there's some issues happening there. Some are looking mm. for possibly being bought. Some are just looking for a little bit of a change in their model, but they're no doubt struggling. So mm -hmm. the first quarter of 2018, Blue Apron's revenues fell about 20% year over year. And this is accelerating from a 13% decline in the fourth quarter of 2017. So what's interesting here is that as Blue Apron is taking a little bit of a nosedive, and eh, not nosedive, maybe a little bit of a slide down the uh, down down the uh, the path there a little bit, HelloFresh and others uh, are catching up a little bit. So who knows exactly why that is? Maybe again, maybe it's just their positioning. Maybe it's just the way that they're attacking the market. Who knows? Who knows what it is? It is such a fickle market. I don't know how any of them um, manage the, the level of inconsistency year over year because of, you know, just the nature of the millennials and um, Gen Z uh, and not even the, them. It's a lot of Gen X in there, too, because it's the parents right now of the teenagers and the younger kids that are buying, um, buying these to make their lives a little bit easier. So HelloFresh is catching up quickly with Blue Apron, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to, to your point, look, if, if you look at let's just look at the numbers for Blue Apron. 881 million was revenue for 2017 um that that that's what what they said yeah. but then they said that they think it's actually going to be 8 837 right mm -hmm. so it, it it's a drop there so there, there are two things to consider here what's what's going on here so to your question one you have high customer acquisition costs right so for example uh, New Apron um, s spent 17.5 of its revenues on marketing costs. Well, there you go. Right? That's what we were talking about before. I mean, there's they're, they're all over the place. And is that working for them? Clearly not. Right, right. And you and know? then if you look at the other piece, right, SG&A costs in 2017, which they break out, but HelloFresh doesn't, um, was 71.8% of revenues in 2017. That's a high number, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So... Just a comparison point, their SG&A ratio was 50.2%, whereas Walmart has an SG&A ratio of 21%, mm. both in 2017. Very interesting. So yeah. the key high customer acquisition costs, it, it costs a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to bring customers on board and then retaining them, right? There's high churn in this industry uh, is also tough. And then the second point is really the increased competition. Right, that they're they're the incumbent, but there are other upstarts coming in because they think it's a it's a uh, lucrative market. No pun intended. Um, yep. They're having their lunch eaten. And the big one, the big one that has yet to, I think, have an impact on this is you know that Amazon Fresh angle when it comes to their Whole Foods acquisition and being a a launch point for their, <clears throat> for their, um, you know, home delivery, but also moving into this space, which is more of the, the prepackaged area. I wonder if that's, if that's in the mix too, but that's exactly. a problem, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then, then how do you, how do you put with the subscription? It, it's kind of like you have to be spot on. Um, and it, we, we, we know you, you and I know this and our listeners know this, that if you're a pure play retailer that doesn't have any stores, I mean, a lot of, you get, hit with the returns right or right. and it's usually a 30 percent um return rate on average but it could sometimes depending on the retailer go 
lower than that, hopefully, or sometimes higher, up to 50 at times. Well, what if, I mean, you know what could totally wreck this entire model if Amazon just goes in and says, hey, Prime members, yeah, we raised your rates. Here's another benefit you're going to get. And it's going to be closer, you know, something additional to Amazon Fresh, something that may replicate some of what you get from a HelloFresh or a Blue Apron. That would, that would be a big, a big issue. uh, Yes. That happened, right? which, which, to your point, I think is the play that Amazon's mm-hmm. doing. I mean, they, they figure, look, we'll raise it. It's time to raise prices because you know what? It's kind of like you guys are on, on our drug right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not, I'm not going to say it's completely inelastic, price inelastic. It, that's not the case. But it's skewing a little bit more that way, right? right the on. fact that <laughs> they're raising prices. Who's going to say, oh, $10 more? Mm, okay, I'll do it. That's right. Everyone. That's right. Well, we will, we will see what happens with that. I mean, I, I would love to, uh, we're going to have to track this here because it seems like the most, the most interesting space right now when it comes to, um, uh, I mean that, that segment of retail at least, because this is yes. the most aggressive, high, most volatile section it seems other than the obvious that's happening right now out there. But, um, it's always yes. interesting to see what, what, if you can predict what Amazon will influence next, um, is not always a bad thing for existing players because it causes them to morph and adjust and and make changes before they happen. And that could be what's happening here with Blue Apron and HelloFresh, you know, a natural fallout of the incumbents to those that are innovating faster uh, in some way, whatever that might be. Exactly, so. exactly. But he, the only problem I find with the disruptors, if you will, like the Nature Boxes and Just Fabs of the world, yeah. is... A problem I have um, as, as a retailer is that they're already offering discounts, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going down. You mean, the path. mean margin perspective? Are you talking about exactly. margins? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if they do have margin to spare, why, why would you want to give away margin uh, if your competitors um, are perhaps mm, even if they are? Why would you? <laughs> anyway, yeah. provided in benefits, like provided in. Uh, services, right? Okay, the free shipping, fine. Um, but not on your product. Otherwise, it makes you seem... Yeah, there's a volume perspective, though, that may be different. And I, I get what you're saying. But of course, you know, Jose, you, you come from a background of fashion and and apparel. And maybe that's a slightly different play, you know, as far as business models go. And it's the loss of margin, a pers- you know, 2% margin in fashion apparel may be a much bigger impact on the bottom line than it is for a more uh, commodity item or something as higher volume and higher levels of replenishment, easier to source, whatever, whatever, who knows? I'm not making excuses or reasons. Sure, sure. I'm just thinking, uh, thinking out loud, but this is actually a very interesting segue to our next topic, which is about fashion and their, um, their business model and outlook, uh, I would say, um, or maybe their, uh, quote unquote attitude, uh, quoting myself, I guess in that case, cause I don't want to, you know, be too aggressive with the term, but, uh, high fashion has an inherent attitude in the marketplace of, um, and they have had this for years now, even as e-commerce has been taking a greater hold on the buyers and the way that people shop in general. And again, referencing millennials and especially Gen Z, but Gen Z of course loves their stores, but they also will be shopping online. So to maintain their margins and to maintain their growth, uh, as fashion retailers, they've started to adjust their outlook on e-commerce, right? And uh, I think recent activity with 
uh, LVMH, um, owned by, uh, I'm sorry, L uh, Louis Vuitton owner of, owned by L LVMH. Yeah. As uh, they've they've inv they've made an interesting investment, Jose. So maybe you can expand on this here about what they're doing with online and how they're going to penetrate that market and actually still feel like they are the special children of retail, right? <laughs> That's how they feel, sure. aren't they? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, look, they they've invested in an online fashion search business called List L Y S T, right? And so they're looking, as to your point, uh, to expand their online presence and capture younger customers. Yeah. This is a big sea change because in the late 90s and early dots and even to the more recent past it's like we do not sell luxury online that, that's like unheard of right right so now um well because, because why they, let's stop for a second why because they're courting a certain group right they're yes. courting the baby boomer maybe older gen z uh i'm sorry older gen x um group in that case where they didn't have to make many adjustments and they could rely on their store traffic for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So okay. it, there, there, there's one specific thing that they have that they must protect. And that is like Coca-Cola, their brand. Mm -hmm. It's an, ex and the difference there though, that that's, that's where the difference is. <laughs> I'll, I'll draw the line now. The difference between them and a Coca-Cola, that they both have awesome brands within their stables, LVMH, is the exclusivity of the image. And so I think the brand along with the image of that brand is key. And by putting it online, it becomes a commodity, which then doesn't become special. And that that doesn't bode well for their business model. So list, so L-Y-S-T list, they are, yep. would you refer to them as the Google for fashion or Google for fat, high-end apparel, maybe. Yeah. Ish? Yeah. No? Yes, exactly, yeah, for high-end. Yeah. So theoretically, what, what, what LDMH is looking at here in their investment is they're seeing the future of, possibly of, uh, I guess, of the market in general, um, being more this marketplace-type model, in a way, or... As another distribution channel, right? Just, so, but, well, it's a, have they invested in anything like this before, I guess, is another question I have. Have they done anything? This is their first investment in anything online other than their own brand related? Uh, they've actually also had invested in other... So they last year they launched uh, 24 Sevres, mm -hmm. and it's its own multi-brand shopping site. Ah, okay. Right, so they, they did that. But List, I would say, what's interesting about List, yeah, they, they have this like um, somewhat exclusive image. But if you go on list.com, yeah. um, they have, okay, so they'll carry the, the usual suspects, right? Not not the high, high end, but they'll carry, uh, let's call it the aspirational luxury brands like Tory Burch, Alice and Olivia, ASOS. Um, then they'll have other brands there. Like, um, which also include Rag and Bone, Trina Turk. So they're not the most luxury, let's say, brands you could find the highest, but but they're more kind of like designer. So they kind of have that idea of, but they're not like the Christian Dior Couture, mm -hmm. if you will. Got it. So the other other players in this space. So there's not just list out there right so list is one 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 of the players in the fashion e-com area um there's others that were noted in this article which we'll 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 um we will link from the guardian i believe yes 
Yeah, so uh, the other yeah, two. there's a few others. So why don't you uh, talk through those? Farfetch and a few others, yeah. I believe. Farfetch and matchesfashion.com, right? So uh, Farfetched was founded by a gentleman from Portugal, and I believe headquarters are in London. And Matches Fashion, uh, originally their story started out as a retailer and eventually went online, and they're based out of France. Um, don't quote me on this, but yep. I believe um, for sure France, but I can't remember wh what city exactly it would be. I was going to say Paris, but it need not be Paris. That, that's the piece that I didn't want to be quoted on. Right. <laughs> I wonder if List has any fun any type of functionality where because um, I, I it seems like everywhere I turn now when it comes to fashion and apparel, many of those brands are aligning with social influencers eh, rather than doing traditional advertising or uh, align or paying um, uh, you know paying a celebrity an insane amount of money to wear their their clothes kind of like what banana banana republic is doing with a with um uh what what's his what's his name from the, the cleveland uh, cleveland cavaliers anyway um but so it seems like mm -hmm. a lot of these these retailers are reaching out to find social influencers to connect um with potential shoppers and through those through those uh sites like uh, there's something called i believe like to know it and i don't know if this has any similar similar functionality to list where they're able to you know push something up on instagram and have a you know have one of their influencers show it and then it would link back to it um because i would guess that they've, they've got to find a way to connect that e-commerce you know site so list itself to those social media sites where many of their buyers reside. So the question is, how do they get people there, right? <laughs> yes. So that's the biggest problem. You know, how do they, I'm sure there's some type of connection to Instagram, for example. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so, so and, and let, let's be clear on one thing. Uh, I, I think we've, we've been alluding to it, but we haven't said it explicitly, is that this is an investment for them. It doesn't mean that LVMH necessarily will sell their products Good point. on here, right? Good point. So this is more of a, let's think of it, they're caving in as a hedge um, yep. because if, if, let's say, we said that your brand and exclusive image are your two major assets, then you would and, – and that would somehow preclude you, as you said earlier, from perhaps going for a younger demographic. The only other way to do it without, let's say, uh, taking a hit on your brand or reducing brand value – is by looking for a distinct business that is still related to you, but does not hurt anything, if you will. Got it. Got it. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. Their chief digital, digital officer uh, will sit on this board, apparently. So there will be absolute influence, and they definitely see this as a another channel or route to market for them, maybe a little bit further down the road. Exactly. Right? Because if you think about it, a lot of times, like, so for example, the Farfetch model, if yeah. this is also the Farfetch model, and matches fashion, might be, they're all a little bit different, but for Farfetch, they don't own the inventory. They're, they're an online marketplace, right? So this is very different um, than 24 Sevre, which is its own multi-brand shopping site for LVMH, or it's also distinct from the deal that Richemont, which is LPMH's nemesis, because they also play in the luxury realm, 
which owns Cartier, it's their biggest, um, it's their flagship brand, uh, Richemont purchased uh, Net-A-Porter, right? And yep. so that's all luxury, and 24-7 is all luxury. So so that's all, it's all, it's all other, let's say, conversation, if you will. Yep. Makes sense, makes sense. All right, so let, let's move off a little bit off uh, off that topic of fashion and move over to toys and stuff, which is more my favorite area because um, I'm a child, apparently. Well, I am. You can vouch for that, right, Jose? I mean, come on. Of course, yeah. and so am I. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the child of the, of the two of us. Uh, a, but hey, no, so, I'm a child going horizontally. <laughs> okay. Children's Place wins, <laughs> so wins the toy. What, what the hell are we talking about? So what, what's happening with this here? So Toys R Us has... Uh, created this pretty nasty ripple effect with their closure. Um, there's obviously lots of brands. There's lots of brands inside of Toys R Us that they were selling, and Toys R Us was a major channel for majority of them. So, um, you know, and, and and a few of those we know, including Carter's, uh, has, oof, uh, I, I believe, uh, geez, let's see, what was what was they the into, percentage they, for them? Uh, so. They accounted for 120 mm-hmm. out of their 300 million dollar children's or apparel. so yeah. business. So yeah, Carter has to find chunk. a way to recoup that, right? So that's going to be interesting. What's exactly. happening here is that you know Children's Place seems to be—I <laughs> didn't realize this—they um, just seem to be hanging around and benefiting from some of these these other retailers that are uh, closing their doors. So Jimboree went out of business last year, and during that time, um, Children's Place was able to pick up the business that Jimboree left, so good on them for doing that. And uh, they seem to be um, also around in the right place now that Toys R Us is winding down operations as they've launched a new line of infant products uh, called Bundles Baby Place in February. That could uh, that that could tack on some revenue in 2019, especially as Toys R Us spins down. So the beautiful planning, beautiful beautiful cadence of you know launching a new line and being around when the others fall and being able to pick up the mess and recoup their uh, recoup well not even recoup but claim extra extra business in a in a very competitive marketplace in a very uh, spazzy marketplace right now and this is happening with a, a bunch of other brands too but children's place happens to be in the right place at the right time i guess right yeah and part of it is that let's stick to children's clothes for a second yep. right uh, the that is a market that is not growing exponentially right so really the only way to grow here uh is to effectively take the pie from someone else and here right. The pie just became, it's kind of like uh, Christmas. Yep. <laughs> they, they, the, the industry was ha- handed like a carte blanche of X percentage right. um, of dollars, and it's just up to them to, to divvy Who's going to claim what? Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, Children's Place is, is well positioned. They've been doing well. I actually saw their CEO speak about uh, a little bit over two weeks ago, Jane Elfers. Quite a remarkable, let's say, story that those guys had but ultimately the, the the point of bringing that up is that that's a, I, what i just said w- is pretty much a paraphrase of what she said that mm-hmm. it is not partic- particularly um high growth market so that's how they grow <laughs> is through taking other people's market share very interesting i wonder if it's got the same uh i guess lower price economical feel 
as as Babies R Us did. I mean, it's been a while since I've frequented a Babies R Us, and of course, won't for a long time unless uh, they come back for one reason or another. Um, but I remember shopping in there and, and and noticing that you know the prices were at a, were very reasonable. The selection was huge. I just don't know if his children's place is a similar type of model. Like, are they a similar type of feeling for shoppers? Um, I'm assuming it is in this case. So is it higher end? Like, you know what I mean? Is it a higher end shopping experience than the more, you know, I don't know. You you think of Babies R Us and Toys R Us as just like a giant warehouse full of toys and products. And you go there knowing what you need and you get a huge selection. And there's other children's places that are smaller, more quaint. I've never been to a children's place, so I'm not quite sure if it's that type of model or if it's more high end. Gotcha. So yeah. I don't don't know much about uh, Babies R Us. I could speak to Toys R Us. Yeah, I'm but... just curious. I mean, Bundles Baby Place is there is there a new line of products? So it all makes sense. I mean, whatever whatever it is. I mean, as long I guess it's also the question is, do they have stores that are in similar locations, right? Because the advantage also that Toys R Us and Babies R Us had is that they had lots of locations and they were sure. kind of like that target mentality where they're in their everyone's backyard. Or within, sure. within 10 miles of everybody and around major cities or something like that. Um, well, so that's going to be something that they'll need to, uh, uh, I guess, figure out how they're going to go to market with. If maybe it's more online, I'm not quite sure. No, actually, so what it is is so Children's Place, like let's say, uh, let's say take a boy's T-shirt. It's like 11 bucks. Yep. 10.95. So yeah. it's not like expensive, right? Right. It's not, a, I don't think, bare bones inexpensive but it's just kind of like affordable i guess is the way to describe it uh so it, it, it seems like it's a good model um from what i recall from uh the talk uh the ceo's talk they actually one of their big claims to fame uh in the recent past is that they actually have a profitable online business which yeah. is pretty incredible right yeah. since we always talk about how it's usually money losing they're actually doing quite well and expect to um, increase that in the future. Very interesting. I mean, there's a lot of holes being left by this. It's uh, it's 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 uh, pretty crazy what's happening with Toys R Us. This kind of constant you figured after a while would die down. Um, <laughs> but I, I keep driving by Toys R Us and they're still liquidating, still liquidating, still liquidating. You know, it's it's a never-ending process it seems. And but of course, there's yeah, there's there's tons of of leftover money being, uh, like you said, that, that pie that's been put out and everybody across segments are trying to claim whatever's left. And, you know, of course, Children's Place is one of the winners in this case, and there's going to be a whole bunch of other winners that, well, winners and also those that need to desperately find a way to get those sales back because they've lost Toys R Us as a channel. So, um, it's just crazy to think about how, how their, how their strategies have to change. Uh, in order yeah. to recoup their money. And, and think of it this way, in the broader sense, see, this is just one, let's say we're, we're taking one specific segment of the overall retail vertical, but this story is going to play out as, and it, it's a separate conversation, but the only point I want to highlight is this is going to play out as there are more bankruptcies in 2018 uh, and 19, right? Yep. Uh, companies are going to leave money on the table and it's a question of who can best service a customer in order to uh, claim that 
and take that market share. Yep. Totally agree. So, hey, weird news of the week, Jose. This is my favorite segment of every show. <laughs> I um, This is some weeks more than others, for sure. And I, it may need you to kind of keep me from falling on the, on the floor for this one here. But and I'm sure you've already you've already bought one of these because you're high end like that. So uh, I'm sure you bought your, your latest pair of Adidas for twelve thousand three hundred and fifty U.S. dollars. I wish I were high end like that. No. And uh, for the record, it's Adidas. Ah, uh, you always say that, but I, I you don't understand. <laughs> I grew up with Adidas. This is how it's been. This is how it was said. This is I cannot fix it. Sorry, Adidas. Adidas. <laughs> Adidas. But do you know why? Um, why it's called Adidas. Yes, you've explained it before. And I also told you that I saw a whole bunch of folks from Adidas at a show about three, six months ago. I can't remember when. And mm -hmm. I, I came clean to them and I said, hey, listen, I'm not saying it right. Is it okay? I said, it's totally fine. We accept both versions. <laughs> <laughs> so take that, Jose. Mr. Okay. Proper. okay. Well, let me tell you why. So just so you did, just to refresh oh, your memory. Because I know we you go. This, but, All right. Everyone's going to uh, fast forward 30 seconds now, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Company was started by Adolf Dossler in his mother's house, and Adolf's nickname was Adi, and his last last name's Dossler. Oh, so, all right. Adi Doss. You haven't said that before, actually. That's that's good. Okay, all right. But but that that's the reason in in Europe mostly it's known as Adidas because that 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 is the pronunciation Adi Dossler. Okay. Well, we're not in Europe, are we? But it's a European company. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Anyway, back to the shoes. So it seems like there's this there's this this craziness happening, and and this is me showing my age here. I don't think I'd ever pay this amount of money. I mean, this is no Foot Locker happening here. So this is this is something pretty high end happening at um, a, what is it a store called Stadium Goods? Well, many other right, many yeah. other uh, yeah, uh, like, many others uh, that are serving this market oh, for high end sneakers. StockX. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of celebrities that are, you know, obviously um, instigating this. So they get a sneaker that is, you know, created by a celebrity or they have a certain tag on it. They have a certain label on it or whatever, whatever, whatever. And it commands a, a crazy amount of money. And I just, I don't know. It kind of melts my brain, Jose. Yeah. Well, look, uh, melts my brain too. But it, there, this is a niche market. Right, meaning that sneakers, believe it or not, um, ha is is a market where you could resell things for quite a lot. So, for example, you could get um, Nike uh, Jordan, right, mm -hmm. um, priced at one ninety for twenty seven fifty for a mere twenty seven fifty. Twenty seven dollars <laughs> and fifty cents, you mean? $2,750. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Do we have China to blame for this? Because I was, you know, digging through here before the show. And apparently China has a huge demand for collectible sneakers and footwear and streetwear. Like yeah. it, it, insane demand for it. And, and I wonder if that trend has was kind of made it across the ocean, um, you know, years back. Uh, but apparently, apparently, um, uh, let's see here. A uh, Chinese customer dropped through, I don't know what store it was. Stadium Goods store. Dropped uh, 10 grand in a single spree at a stadium, a stadium Goods store. That's crazy. So, but then again, that wasn't even, um, I don't think that was even in China. That may have been a Chinese customer shopping in the States. Yeah. But regardless, yeah. 
regardless, I don't, I don't think market. it's China. It, it, yeah. It's a market here in the yeah. States. I think it's, yeah. it's a sportswear market and it's, it's guys mostly um, getting on this sneaker, let's say, kick. No pun intended. Yeah, I get this that. I get that. But there's there's some also unfulfilled demand for uh, these high end, you know, celebrity marked s- sneakers and uh, footwear that is being it, that there's a demand for it in areas where it can't be found. For example, China. Um, and when sure. they come here, it just gets gobbled up. Um, and there's uh, there's other other uh, other stores called one called Goat. You know, grace of all time. Uh, they've raised money recently. There's, um, there, oh my God, there, there's so many different one. There's so many different versions of these that it's just it kind of blows my mind that they're <laughs> able to, you know, s- you know, create enough sales. And of course, not even to mention the Yeezys. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Yeezys have been all over the news over the past few years and just ridiculous <laughs> things. Not even few years, past year. Um, and ridiculous things happening for people, uh, people trying to get their hands on them. And those aren't even, those are cheap compared to what we're talking about, right? I mean, those right, are, right. Those are a few hundred bucks. Um, right. 400 bucks. And, and, and maybe the China link, right? If you think of it, stadium goods, right? They sold um, $3 million worth of goods during Singles Day back in November 11th, right? The mm-hmm. Singles Day promotions done by Alibaba, 24-hour shopping extravaganza which uh, actually eclipses black friday in the u.s and that i mean tells you that that's a lot for sneakers three million yeah. in 24 hours and and there's a weird other market that's that's popping up out of this now which is resale in, with sneakers which makes me gag but there's people just selling their you know i don't know their their lebron james shoes or they're selling their uh, yeezys or their whatever they there's there's a whole resale market when it comes to sneakers because there's such a demand for these for these for these sneakers and their and the resale value is is uh, is holding so very interesting. And you're making me feel old because here I'm wearing my oh old. Well, they're not old; they're relatively new. But it, it's my Nike IDs, and I thought those were cool. Nice. Well, <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> Your world not. is crashing. Yeah, it it just yeah. crashed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that. So, uh, yeah, twelve grand for a pair of uh, Adidas. Um, no, thank you. There you go. There you go. No, thank you. No, thank you. Well, hey, that's the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. We've mentioned a lot of brands in this episode. If you have any strong opinions one way or the other on any of the stuff we were saying, please let us know. Um, and, of course, you know, don't blame me for something stupid that I said. I tend to do that just in general. Right? Or Jose? me. Okay. Or you. Or me. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, you can find you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever you consume your uh, your favorite podcasts. And until next time, everyone, take care. Take care, everyone. Bye. <laughs>